Well, this time of year, there's a movie that comes on almost every year around Christmas time. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. And I found that uh, I found that's either you either love it or you hate it. Okay, and I kind of said when I said when I said it tonight, some of you smile. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. And other you're like, yeah, I've seen that movie a thousand times. It's a Wonderful Life. But the basic premise of that movie is there's a guy and he goes through a lot of things. But the basic premise is he wonders, what if I had never been born? And basically, the, the movie goes to show that here's the difference that his life made. And really, the point of the movie is that every life makes a difference. Amen? Every life has an impact on this world in a positive way. Well, tonight I want us to think about this question. What if there had never been a Christmas? Now, I want you to think about it for just a minute. When we think about the Christmas season, many times we think about trouble, don't we? We think about, oh my goodness, you know, this is going to be a lot. Okay, we've got to start gearing up about September, saving up just financially, right? We've got to start saving up. Some of us start at the beginning of the year saving up after we pay it off. We start saving up for the next year because we want to, you know, do some nice things and, and, and let our kids have a nice time. And, and then there's the stress and there's the parties and the get-togethers and, 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 and the relationships. And, yeah, I just want to stop just tonight and ask this question. What if we didn't have to mess with that? What if we did not have Christmas? There'd never been a Christmas. Well, the immediate impact would be there'd be no presents and kids, by, let's, no, no cardiac arrest, okay? I'm not saying we're calling it off. I'm just saying if we didn't have Christmas, there'd be no presents, right? If we didn't have Christmas, there'd be no Christmas tree. Now, my family and I, we just got our Christmas tree. We're putting all the, the, the ornaments and everything on it. If we didn't have Christmas, there'd be no Salvation Army bell ringers. I mean, when you think about Christmas, don't you think about that? I'm going to the mall, and I hear the bell, and I, and I see the red can. I mean, we think about that. There'd be no Christmas carols at the mall. You wouldn't be hearing, you know, all of a sudden, right at the beginning of December, it kind of transitions in the music now. It was just kind of just your regular, ordinary, and now we're hearing a lot of Christmas carols. There'd be none of that. There'd be no Black Friday, all right, if there was no Christmas. Imagine the impact on our company. By the way, do you know that's why they call it Black Friday? Because they say that the companies are in the red, and Black Friday, there's so many people that shop on Black Friday that that's what puts them in the black financially for the year. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, I never, I never knew that until a couple of years ago. That's why they call it Black Friday, because that's what puts them in the black. If there was no Christmas and people weren't shopping on Black Friday, that'd have a huge impact. On a bigger level, what would our country look like? Would you think about that for just a minute? What would the United States of America look like if there had never been a Christmas. By the way, many times today they're rewriting history, okay? They're revising history. But did you know that many of the original explorers that, come to the, that came to this land, did you know that many of them came because they wanted to share the good news about Jesus Christ with the world? Did you know that? What if they had not had that motivation? Or many of the earliest explorers and inventors, the reason that they had in their heart to explore this this, uh, this world, this creation, is because it said, you know what, there's a God. And He created all this, and He's a pretty amazing God, and we want to explore, we want to discover all that He's created. Let's go see what God has done, right? Did you know that? Many of the early explorers, that's why they did what they did. What if they had not had the motivation to share the good news? What if they had not had the motivation to discover God's creation? Think about our society. Think about our culture. 
What about the, the customs in our society? How much of the customs in our society have been shaped because of what started at Christmas? How much of the law in our society? Did you know that even though people are trying to take Christ out of the marketplace, out of government, did you, did you realize that the Ten Commandments had a huge impact? God's Word, God's message, the message of Christmas, our government, our economy, much of that happened because and was impacted highly because someone named Jesus was born 2,000 years ago and the implications of his birth. And the biggest thing of all, what if there was no Christmas? There'd be no salvation. There'd be no hope. There'd be no hope for this life. You just have to make it. Just try to do the best that you can and there'd be no hope for the life to come. Like Jimmy Stewart and It's a Wonderful Life, if we could just sort of rewind the tape and take Christmas out of history, I think we would be amazed. I think we'd be more than that. I think we'd be appalled at how differently this world would be without Christmas. So without having such a significant role in our lives, I want us to take the next couple of times together as we study God's Word, and I want us to think about this question. Why did it ever start in the first place? Why do we have Christmas? Where did it all come from? And tonight what I want to do is turn back to the Old Testament. I want, to, I want us to look at this thing called Christmas. Why did it ever start in the first place? How did it get started? We're going to talk about the origins of Christmas. And actually, we're going to start somewhere that might surprise you. We're going to start actually all the way back in the book of Genesis. When we're thinking about Christmas... When we're thinking about where did it come from, why did it start, how did it get going, the first thing I want us to think about tonight is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. God had said to us long ago that because of the condition, because of where we find ourselves as human beings, that somebody, one of us, had to do something about the situation. Human beings, mankind, we were responsible to do something about where we find ourselves. The story of Christmas really goes back to the beginning of the Bible. Now, if we look at Genesis uh, chapter 3, you'll find, uh, obviously, if you've read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you find out the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God had created everything. He had created the man. He had created the woman to enjoy everything, to take care of it, to be partners together with him in taking care of his creation. And he told them, he says, listen, I've given you all this to enjoy, this wonderful creation to enjoy. And we can only imagine one day we're going to see what that was like. We're going to see what a world that's not messed up, because we live in a messed up world, a fallen world. We're going to see how a world that God makes the way it's supposed to be made, how that world was for Adam and Eve. But unfortunately, we find in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve, they made the wrong choice, and as a result of that, sin came into this world. As a result of that, death came into the picture. And all this big mess that we find ourselves in, that all began to happen. And after that happened, God came to Adam and Eve, and he began to explain to them, okay, because you made this choice, because you made this decision, I warned you not to do this, but because you did it, there's some consequences, there's going to be some fallout from that, and that's where we come to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. As God is speaking to them, he's also speaking to the serpent, who actually is really Satan, it's the enemy himself, it's the devil himself, who disguised himself as a serpent, and he says to him, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, her seed shall bruise you on the head, serpent, and you shall bruise him 
on the hill. Now, what was happening is God was speaking to the serpent. He was speaking to Satan. He was speaking to our adversary. And he was basically saying, okay, the woman's seed and you, Satan, you're going to be enemies. There's going to be hostility between the two of you. You and the woman and her children are going to do battle. And he says, and her seed are going to bruise, or actually that can be translated, her seed is going to crush your head, and you are going to bruise, and actually that can be translated, same word, you are going to bruise, you're going to crush his heel. And by the way, even in that, there's a little bit of a hint. He's going to crush our heel, so there's going to be some real pain there, but we're going to crush, her seed is going to crush, that sounds fatal, doesn't it? Going to crush his what? His head, all right? So the pain that he's going to inflict upon us is going to be painful. But ultimately, what's going to be inflicted upon him is going to be fatal. Now, you could just read that verse tonight and just move on, couldn't you? But I want to point out for you that many Bible teachers call this a very, very important verse in the Bible. I'm going to use a big word, okay? They call it the proto-euangelion, okay? Now, did I impress you? Okay, so I gave my impressive word, okay? That actually is this Greek, that's just a Greek word that basically means the first good news. That's exactly what it means. Proto means uh, first, and euangelion means good news. It's the first good news, or we could say the first gospel in the Bible. That's because Bible teachers recognize it as the first mention in the Bible of God's good news to us. Now, it seems subtle, doesn't it? But God was beginning to introduce the idea. Don't miss this. This is leading us to why do we have this thing called Christmas? God was beginning to introduce to us the idea that as bad as our situation is, the seed of the woman, and you ought to say, praise the Lord, amen, the seed of the woman, her offspring would have victory over the enemy. Amen? Somebody said this. They said, this is the first promise of salvation in the Bible. Wow. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Listen to this. This is even bigger. That person said, everything else in the Bible flows from these words in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That's pretty significant. One great preacher says that this verse is the sum and the summary of the Bible. Again, what it does is it foretells the fact that the seed or the offspring of Eve would do battle with the enemy, but ultimately would crush him and would win the victory. And what I really want you to understand is is that this verse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it foretells Christmas. It originates the idea that God would have to come as a man and that he would be bruised. He was bruised, wasn't he? On that cross... He was, in a sense, crushed, in a sense, right? And so it could be translated that. He was bruised. He was afflicted. He went through great hardship and difficulty for us, but he wasn't crushed in the sense of fatally crushed because ultimately Satan was crushed by his payment on the cross and by his resurrection. Now, we're going to talk more about that God coming part in just a minute, but I want to ask you, do you see it there? God was saying early on that Eve's offspring or humanity would struggle with the enemy, but eventually we would crush him. Did you hear it in those words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Did you hear what it said? And it said, Come desire of nations come. It was the last verse that we sang. Come desire of nations come. Fix in us thy humble home. 
rise the woman's conquering seed. You hear the church throughout the ages have realized, even in singing about Christmas, rise the woman's, the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. In fact, this is interesting. This is something I've never noticed before. If you look at Genesis chapter 4, right after this, there's evidence in Genesis 4 that Eve even understood immediately that one of her children would take care of the problems that Adam and Eve had caused. Look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she says, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Now, that's actually the New American Standard Translation, but actually that can be translated, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And, and what many, many Bible translators believe that's saying is she's basically saying, God said, your seed is going to crush the head of that serpent. And, and what many Bible teachers believe is that what she's saying is, okay, here he is. This is the one. God said that though we had... Uh, uh, we had had this terrible defeat, had this terrible thing happen upon us, these terrible consequences, that God said that my offspring would be able to defeat this enemy. And she, there's some indication that Eve thought that when she had Cain, that he was the one who was going to fulfill that promise. In fact, I've never heard, I never knew this before, but actually it can actually be translated. Listen to this. It says, I have gotten a man, and some people translate it, the Lord. Now think about that for just a minute. I have gotten a man, the Lord. If that's the way it should be translated, that it even gives the impression that Eve recognized that God was going to be involved in that happening. Isn't that kind of cool? I never noticed that before. That she understood, if she did understand that, that's pretty amazing. But what I want you to understand is what we're talking about is the origins of Christmas. Why do we have this holiday? Why do we celebrate Christmas? From the beginning, friends, listen, God made it clear, it was understood that there would have to be a special birth. That one of us would have to be born to conquer our enemy. So that part makes it clear that there was a man, that there was a person born to do this. But as Eve's words might hint at, like I just said, and as you can imagine, it couldn't be just any person. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear as we move along through God's word. Right now, secondly, one of us had to be the one to do it. But secondly, God said he was going to need, he, he needed to be involved in order for it to happen. God would need to be that man. And like I said, it's possible, according to how we translate Genesis chapter 4, that Eve even had a sense of that. We don't know that for sure, but clearly as we walk through the Bible, it makes it clear that God was going to be the one who was going to do this work for us. One of us had to do it, but God had to be the one. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says in Isaiah 9, 6, and you may have heard this verse before, but maybe you've, maybe you've never looked at it before. It says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. And then it says he's going to reign forever and ever. Okay, now guys, think about this for just a minute. The Bible predicted hundreds of years before Christ came that a son was going to be given. 
a son was going to be born, and his name was going to be Wonderful Counselor. And actually, that, that word has the, the overtones of deity to it, okay? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. That's clearly talking about God, isn't it? He was going to be the son that was going to be born. We were going to call him Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. What was happening here is that the two southern tribes of Judah had been going through a difficult time. And Isaiah was telling them, you know what? There's a future that God has uh, that he's going to turn all this around. And how that's going to be signaled, how that's going to be happen, how that's going to happen is a child, a son was going to be born who was going to lead their nation. And obviously, as we read these words, this was not just any son. Obviously, God was going to be involved. Do you see how it comes together? In Genesis, God says, look, Eve, you guys, y'all made this mistake. All these consequences are coming. And in order for it to be turned around, your seed, your offspring is going to have to do something about it. And then as we go through Scripture, we begin to find out that it wasn't just anybody. Because I don't see very many people qualified to do anything about it. Amen? It wasn't going to be just anybody that was going to do it, but that God himself was going to come. In fact, Isaiah 9, verse 6, hints at another passage that we hear about during the Christmas season. Isaiah 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name, what is it? Emmanuel. Now, Many people believe that actually what's happening in, uh, in uh, Isaiah chapter 7 is an example of what we call double fulfillment. Okay, what was happening, double fulfillment means that when you're reading a passage, we find this in the Old Testament sometimes, you're reading a passage, that passage is, is specifically talking about something related to that immediate context, something that was happening during the time in which it was written. But, but sometimes there are passages that relate to something that was during the time it was written, but they also are pointing ahead to something in the future, something bigger. And obviously we know from, uh, from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel means God is with us. So listen, friends, the Old Testament foretold that there was going to be a a miraculous birth, unlike any other. Nobody had ever been born this way before. A virgin was going to give birth. Someone who had never had relations with a man, she was going to give birth, and that baby's name was going to be called Emmanuel. This is God who has come to be with us. Now, some people say, is the virgin birth really important? Well, it's important that God come into our world. Amen? It's important that He take on humanity because one of us was going to have to do something about it and He was the one that was going to come do it. And this was God's way of Him coming into this world, retaining His nature fully as God and being sinless, but taking on the form, the nature of a man. Right now, Luke chapter 1, verse 35. In fact, some have even said that Genesis chapter 3 that we just looked at earlier, that that actually hints at the fact that this was going to happen because uh, typically when you're talking about seed or when you're talking about a genealogy, you would talk about it in relationship to the men. And so because of the fact that it relates to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, many people think that that's hinting at the fact that the woman was going to have a special role in this. By the way, that does, this does not require Mary to be sinless. There are people, you will go to churches, there are people, there are churches that teach that Mary is sinless. But write down Luke chapter 1, verse 47. 
In Luke 1, verse 37, she calls the Lord her what? Her Savior. Okay, in order to have a Savior, that means you're a what? You're a sinner. Now, I think we need to honor Mary as a very godly woman. Amen? She was a, she was a precious, uh, uh, sweet, um, uh, tender-hearted follower of God who had put her trust in God. And so in that sense, we honor her as a great woman of faith. But she was still a sinner. But what we're wanting to draw attention to here is that the origin of Christmas is that God had said all along that a man was going to have to come and do something about this problem, but that God was going to have to do it for us. And verse after verse in the Bible make it clear, Jesus is God and he took on human flesh. Let me give you some verses that talk about that. I'm going to give you several verses, so get your pen ready, all right? <clears throat> John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, this is talking about the eternality of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. What does that sound like? He's the what? The Creator, right? All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And then in verse 14, it makes it clear who it's talking about. The Word is, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, And we saw His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Write down John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus identified Himself as the great I Am. Now, clearly the Jewish people would have recognized that, that He was identifying Himself back with Exodus chapter 3, that he was saying that he himself is God. In fact, it's clear that that's what, how they took it, because what did they try to do? After Jesus made that statement, what did they try to do? Does anybody know? They tried to stone him. They said, look, you know, you are claiming, you are being blasphemous, you are claiming to be God. John chapter 20, verse 28, when Thomas realized who Christ was, he dropped and he said, my Lord and my what? My God, and Jesus didn't correct him. He didn't say, no, you're wrong. Don't worship me. I'm not God. He didn't say that. He accepted that worship as God. Romans chapter 9, verse 5 says, Christ is God. He is over all. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, it says, He is God Himself. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 20, He is God. He is the Creator. He is the Savior. He's the Sustainer of all things. This is talking about Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, clearly He is God. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says Christ is our God and our Savior. Friends, it is very clear from the Bible that Christ is God. So why do we have a holiday where we celebrate a baby was born and that baby was God Himself? The, the Old Testament makes it clear that this is the origin of Christmas. God said, as you may have heard me say before, only man was required to pay for sin, but only God had enough to pay it. So God had to do what? God had to come as a man. And then thirdly, God said that all this, all this plan, all these details had to work out in just the right way. That he had a plan, he had a purpose that was coming together. Write down Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son. 
I want you to think about that verse. When the fullness of time came, what does that sound like? It sounds like an alarm going off. It sounds like an alarm going off, doesn't it? It's time. It's time to get up. You know, it's time to go. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son. He told His Son. He told Christ. Say, okay, it's time. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. There it is. Born under the law, so that He might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Do you ever wonder at your house? Do you ever wonder at your work? Does anybody know what's going on around here? Do you ever wonder about that? Has anybody got a plan here? Does anybody know what's happening? Well, I got good news for you. We don't know all the reasons why God did it the way He did. Some of them we do. And, and we could look at some of those, but we don't have time to do that tonight. I would encourage you, as I always do, take the verses that I'm sharing with you tonight. Take those home. Go back and look at them. Go back and read them. Look at the context around them. You can do that. But Christmas assures us that God has a very specific plan. It was no accident. In fact, many of the details of Christ's coming at Christmas, God, a man had to come and it had to be God, many of those details were shared, were foretold hundreds of years before they happened. Did you know that the Old Testament told us ahead of time what family Christ was going to come into. Isn't that amazing? Of all the families in the world, the, the Old Testament, throughout the centuries, God progressively, more and more, He began to share with us detail after detail. First of all, He said, like we said, in Genesis 3, verse 15, He was going to be of the seed of the woman. We already heard that. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, He said He was going to be of the seed of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, he said that he was going to be of the tribe of Judah. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13, he was going to come from the house of David. Now, this was hundreds, even to, to some extent, some of, these ver- some of these verses, thousands of years before it happened. Wow, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Listen to this. You think that's amazing? He foretold the date the time that it was going to happen. You say, you're kidding. That's in the Bible? Write down Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, verses um, 24 through 25. In Daniel chapter 9, the Bible says 70 weeks, and actually that, that literally says 77s, okay? 77s have been decreed for your people. He's talking to Daniel and to the Jewish people and your holy city to finish the transgression. Now listen, are you getting the big picture? Okay, there are a lot of details in the Bible, right? There are a lot of things that happen, and there's a, there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, nuances, a lot of pieces to it, but there's a big picture that's happening all through the Bible. And you hear that here in Daniel chapter 9. Seventy-sevens have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression... To make an end of sin. Doesn't that sound like what we've been talking about? God was going to do something about our problem. To make an end of sin. To make atonement for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. 
until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks, seven sevens, and 62 weeks, 62 sevens. So that's 69 sevens are going to happen until the, it says, and it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Okay, and then it talks about more details there. Okay, he said, after 69 weeks of years. How many is 69 times 7? Anybody know? It's 483. Okay, it's it's 70 times 7 minus a 7, right? So it's 483 years. Okay, if you figure... He said, when a decree is issued for all for this for the for the temple to be rebuilt, he says, when, when, or to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, there is a decree issued in 445 BC. If you take 445 BC and you take that many years based on a Jewish calendar of 360 day calendar, guess where you find yourself? 32 to 33 A.D. The prediction here was for when Christ was going to do what? When he was going to die on the cross. God set the appointed time that his son was going to come and when his son was going to die on the cross. It was, it was, it was already determined hundreds of years before it happened that the Bible foretold the exact timing of Christ's life. Isn't that amazing? The Bible also said exactly where he was going to be born. Listen to um, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Listen, it's very clear. It says, but as, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, too little to, to be among the clans of Judah. He says, you're just a small place, but from you one will go forth from me for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago. From the days of eternity. I don't know many kings that can claim that. How about you? It sounds like he's talking about God. Amen? Not only that, but the miraculous nature of his birth. We've already talked about that. You can write down the Isaiah 9, Isaiah 7 passage. The virgin birth. God predicted that that was going to happen. You know, it's not just his birth. There's a lot of other... That's our focus for tonight. But there's a lot of other details. His ministry, the nature of his ministry, the events of his life, the manner of his death, that he was going to be ridiculed, that his hands and his feet were going to be pierced, that no bones were going to be broken in his body, that soldiers were going to gamble for his clothes, that he was going to be beaten beyond recognition, his resurrection from the dead. All those things were foretold in the Old Testament. Isn't that incredible? A few years ago, uh, my dad gave me a Bible. And he wrote something in the front of that Bible that really, really touched my heart. You see, when I was about 10 or 12 years old, uh, I had this thought in my heart, or in my mind. I, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I just had this thought when I was about 10 or 12 years old, you're going to be a pastor one day. And uh, I was like, no, I'm not. You know, that's weird. You know, I, how would you feel if you had a sense tonight, you're going to be a pastor one day? That's exactly how I felt. No, that's weird, whatever. And I moved on. A few years later, I was in uh, uh, junior high, and I met this guy that was um, my age, a friend of mine, and he said that God had called him into ministry. And I began to kind of chew on that and watch his life a little bit, and then a few years after that, 
uh, God brought Shannon into my life, and I began to see what it was like to see a pastor and his family, because Shannon's dad's a pastor. And, and a few years after that, God called me into ministry. To my surprise, but I accepted that call, and, and that's where we are here today. But a few years ago, my dad gave me a Bible, and he wrote, uh, I just looked at it again this week, he wrote at the front of that Bible, it says, Rob, I never told you this, but on the day that you were born, your granddad said, Rob's going to be a pastor one day. I get chills just thinking about that. I look back and I'm like, I'm impressed, God. Amen? What does that say to you? When you're living out events that you look back and you see, you know what? God knew all along. He had a plan. And I'm just part of, hopefully, the fulfillment of His desire in His heart. Amen? When we look back at the Old Testament, friend, I hope that you haven't been so awash in all the minutiae of the holidays, or maybe even that you've been to church so much in your life that you can't be amazed. Wow. Hundreds of years ago, Friend, if you're a child of God here today, that ought to increase your faith. That ought to encourage you tonight. The book that we study, the Word of God, it is true, amen? It is in real life. It's not just abstract spiritual in the clouds, no. In every way, it affirms that it is the Word of God and and it's true and that God has a purpose and God has a plan. And that's what Christmas is all about. That God said from the beginning, someone, one of us, is going to have to do something. And God said from the beginning, that guess what? (laughs) None of us are qualified. And God knew from the beginning that if something was going to happen, He was going to be the one that would have to do it. And He planned every detail of it. When it was going to happen, what family it was going to happen through, where it was going to happen, and even the details after that. Tonight, as we go through the holidays, I pray that God would use the testimony of His Word tonight to challenge you to trust Him even more than ever. And friend, if you're not a child of God tonight, if you've never come like the wise men, like the shepherds, if you've never come And just got on your knees and said, He's the one I've been looking for. I pray that tonight God's been speaking to your heart about that. This is not just some fables. This is not just some stories that we've made up. This is not just some, this makes us feel better about life. I start getting the impression that God is up to something. Amen? And I'm just getting to observe it. And and, and maybe even be a part of it. That's the invitation tonight. God says to you, I have a plan. It's been going on long before you got here. And it's going to keep going on whether you join me or not. But I'm inviting you to join me. Would you do that tonight? Would you join him? Would you say, God, I see, I recognize, I believe, and I want to follow you tonight. Let's bow before the Lord for just a moment as we close out tonight.
Heavenly Father, as we think about that question that I asked at the beginning of the service, what if Christmas had just never happened? Well, there'd be a lot of loss. All the things we mentioned, all the fun and the festivities and the good food and getting together with family. Lord, the songs, maybe the impact on our nation that this story, this message has had. The Lord, the biggest impact, if there were no Christmas, if Christ had not come, then He would not have lived on this earth. He would not have lived a sinless life and died on the cross in my place. He would not have risen from the dead to show that Christ is victorious over all. And He could not offer to us the salvation that He accomplished for us. Lord, tonight I pray that the realization of what Christmas really, where it started, what it's about, why You did it, would just wash over us tonight and speak to our hearts about where we are with You. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to stand up and uh, to sing a final song with me as we kind of wrap up God's work in our hearts together here tonight. I want to challenge you to do something as we do that. I found myself last week when Tony was preaching, I wanted to close my Bible. I wanted to start stirring and getting ready. I told myself, I tell them not to do that. Don't do that. It's kind of easy just to sort of wrap up but maybe God's not done yet. In fact, maybe this is the most important part of the service. Because there's a time to hear from God, and then there's a time to respond to God. Hopefully you've been responding. That's why I ask you to say amen, because I, I like to hear that throughout the message we're interacting and, and God's speaking to you and we're, we're discovering what He's wanting to say together. But in a special way, all of us, myself included, at the end here, God just ministered to my heart. I've heard people say, I've heard Christians say they hate Christmas. They don't hate Christ. They hate what our nation has made of it. Maybe they hate some of the memories that it reminds them of. You know what, tonight I pray that if that's where you are, that God would just minister to your heart. You know what He is? He's a redeemer. He takes things that were lost and He buys them back. And He makes them brand new. Tonight, don't let the enemy take Christmas away from you. Take out all the garbage, all the hurt, all the pain. Give that to the Lord. And just say, God, I worship you tonight. But you knew this had to happen, and you did it for me. And that's how I celebrate Christmas this year. You can decide about the tree and the presents and the get-togethers. You can decide about that, but don't miss out on Jesus. Amen? And just coming in front of Him and saying, I worship you for having this in your heart to do for me. Father, speak to us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.